Hi everyone, and welcome to episode 13 of the University of Greenwich Sustainability Podcast. If this is your first time listening, this is a podcast to discuss sustainability at the University of Greenwich and our wider lives. Hopefully with these short podcasts, we can provide a good starting point for you guys to delve into sustainability topics and hopefully engage with wider sustainability team or eco team projects. Today's episode is focused on fair trade and ethical food choices. This is being recorded during Fair Trade Fortnight, a yearly festival that highlights some of the stories of the people who grow our food and drinks, mine our gold and grow the cotton in our clothes, people who are often exploited and underpaid. The Greenwich Sustainability team has lots of exciting things going on around Fair Trade Fortnight, so please visit the sustainability website or Instagram to find out more. Joining us for this great episode will be Joe Millis, the Fairtrade Foundation's Education Campaigns Manager. So Joe, I know I asked you to bring a fun fact for today's episode. Could you share that with us? Yeah. Hi, Ryan. Thanks. Um, so my fun fact is about one of our favourite Fairtrade products, uh, bananas. So people often refer to banana trees um, when in actual fact, the plant that banana grows on botanically is considered a herb. There's no wood in the stem. It's not a tree and you only get one crop off it before it's no good, unlike trees that tend to grow for years and you pick over and over again. So not a banana tree, but an enormous herb. Yeah, that is surprising. So Joe, could you begin by introducing yourself and giving us a bit of background on the work that you do at Fair Trade? Yeah, sure. Um, so um, as you say, uh, my role is Education Campaigns Manager and I work in our campaigns team. Um, I've been at the foundation almost 12 years now, so a really long time, and I lead our education programmes. And that means our Fair Trade Universities and College programme, which is probably the one that most of your listeners will have heard of. Um, but also I work with schools and with young people outside of formal education to a lesser degree. And within our education programmes, um, our aim is to really get the message out to young people, students um, and educators in general um, about our global system of consumption and what we personally can do to be part of making trade work better for producers. I think a lot of us know that actually at the very start of the supply chain for many of the products we enjoy, not just food and drink, but other things, there are often people who are heavily exploited um, within that global system and not just the people, but the environment too. A lot of the costs of the products that we enjoy are externalized into, um, you know, very difficult treatment of the people or like hard living conditions, inability to make livelihoods um, that are sustainable. And a lot of those costs also go into the environment as well and result in, you know, degradation of the environment. And it's a really important thing for young people to develop an understanding of. I sometimes say, sadly, the most powerful thing you have is the pound in your pocket. And the way you choose to use them is a really powerful vote for the world you want to see. Um, the companies you support with your custom, uh, you're giving them a message that you like what they do. Um, conversely, uh, the companies that are vying for your custom, you know, will potentially try and change things to, to get you into their um, you know, group of consumers. So it's really, really powerful, important that we understand what we're doing with our money um, and the way we buy things. And not just that, also it's beyond 
our patterns of purchase, but also our own personal you know, sense of agency, the change you can make as a person uh, with the other decisions that you make, the way you influence people, um, you know, how you speak to power, that sort of thing. So beyond just what you buy, it's also how you engage with bigger structural things. And I think within our programs, we we emphasize kind of, you know, taking action beyond just your purchase. So um, talking to those who make decisions around uh, purchasing your universities, uh, raising awareness of what products do, talking to companies and that sort of thing. So our programs aim to help young people to understand what they can do to actually make change in the world for a more socially and environmentally sustainable system. Great. Yeah, and I know we sort of touched on sort of the the power that the pound in your pocket has, and I've never heard it um yeah distilled into such a sort of helpful way. So I'm sure that our listeners have purchased a fair trade product in the past, either a bar of chocolate or a jar of coffee. However, they may not fully understand what it means when a product is fair trade certified. Could you give us an overview of the journey a product goes through to be fair trade certified? So when you buy um, a product with the fair trade mark on it um what that means is in effect there's been an agreement that with buyers um to uphold certain standards and payments so they get to use the fair trade mark on their product um and that that goes back down the supply chain to the producers so the producers meet this set of standards which are you know they're, they're quite far reaching in terms of social and environmental aspects um, in the conditions where they live and the in return for that they receive usually a um, fair trade minimum price which should cost us cover the sustainable costs of production um, and a fair trade premium payment on top which is an extra payment and a company will, will sign up with Flosa which is the um, independent body that audits the, the fair trade certification process um, they'd receive information about the standards they get a lot of support to um, meet those standards and it goes all the way back along the supply chain so the producers who are growing the coffee or the cocoa or the bananas meet certain standards um, and their, their products can then be sold on with the fair trade mark on if they have the buyer that's willing to enter into that agreement with them. And there are audits that take place every few years to ensure that those standards are being met. Um, so, I mean, if a, if a buyer or you know, retailer or a company at this end wants to use the fair trade mark on their product, the first thing they do is to get in contact with FlowCert, who then talk to them about the process and see how they can work with their supply chain to meet the uh, fair trade standards and get the mark on it. Um, it, it's pretty rigorous and they get audited um, every few years to make sure they keep meeting it but we think this is really important because it's independent um, there's no marking your own homework <laughs> in fair trade um, so it, they're independently audited and then you know given time to correct anything that doesn't meet the standards um, and that's how you know that gives the fair trade mark integrity I'm sure we'll um, touch on maybe marking your own homework later <laughs> um, but yeah that's good to hear that sort of um, it goes through a rigorous sort of auditing process for each product it means you can sort of trust what you're buying um, 
So Fair Trade Fortnight this year is focused on challenges that climate change brings to farmers and other workers in the communities Fair Trade works with. I would encourage our listeners to check out the Fair Trade Fortnight website as there's lots of interesting online events and activities. I, I was surprised I saw that it was like a virtual um, virtual festival, so like kind of turned it into different tents and everything like that. So yeah, like I said, if the listener um, is interested, please check that out. So what are some of these challenges that climate change are bringing and how can you see these challenges developing if climate change is not properly addressed? So what we're hearing quite a lot from our producers and all of our producer communities are either in um, Latin America, Africa um, or Asia. And we're hearing quite a lot from producer communities all over um, that extreme weather is having a massive impact on their crop production. And um, what this means is uh, sometimes, so let's let's say, for example, um, banana producers in the Dominican Republic um, have been hit with multiple storms in quick succession. They're just recovering from one and then they're hit with another and it can completely destroy their crop. We're also hearing, so for example, I was chatting the other day with some tea producers in India and they're, they're telling us that overall they get more rain now, but they're getting it on fewer days. So they get longer periods of dry and then they get these huge inundations, which can be extremely damaging. And it, it's making it really hard to predict, um, you know, the growth of the crop, when's going to be a good time for picking, all of that sort of thing. And it can lower their yields. Now, of course, if you've got less of your crop that, you know, successfully harvest and you can sell, that means lower incomes. And a lot of the farmers who are growing the products that we enjoy, um, you know, both inside and outside the fair trade system are very dependent on the money they receive from that one activity. And if their income is lower, that often means that, you know, their struggles are exacerbated. Many of them are struggling to meet their basic needs anyway. Unfortunately, many of the people who grow the products that we love, you know, they, they struggle to have nutritious food, to pay for their children to go to schools, to access healthcare. A lot of the countries where our producers are based don't necessarily have the benefits that we have with, you know, free healthcare. And um, certainly things like secondary schooling is not free in many of the countries. So the, they, they struggle to meet their basic needs anyway. If they are then suffering from a loss of crop or lower quality crop because they've had a flood or a frost or something that is out of the range of previously ordinary weather, um, you know, they, that's going to mean less money um, and less capacity to deal with the challenges that they face. And they just don't have a lot of the time. They just don't have those resources to make changes. Um, and a lot of time, I mean, what strikes me from talking to our producers, um, a lot of times they have a really good sense of the things that need to be done. But a lot of those things will require resources to change practices and to adapt. And it's incredibly hard to do if you're living hand to mouth. So we know that, um, for example, within the fair trade system, there are some really amazing programs going on to help farmers to adapt. So, for example, um, in uh, Kenya and Ethiopia, there's these climate academies, which you know is training for farmers who predominantly grow coffee 
to um, help them to understand and to resource the uh, things that can make um, the, the effects of their more erratic weather less on their crops. So, you know, the way that they shade, the way that they control the flow of water, um, you know, spreading their risk a bit with diversifying into other crops and that sort of thing. But you can only think about what's going to happen next week or next month or next year if you're not completely preoccupied with what's going to happen today. And for people who are living with very little, you can only really focus on today. Um, and it's very hard to free up that kind of money, the resources, the, everything to think about how you protect your farm for the next five years or 10 years or going forward. And I think you asked me what what will happen if it's not addressed? Well, um, we already see in uh, many places farming populations are aged. Younger people don't want to go into farming because it's too hard, it's too tenuous, um, it's a life of, of you know grinding poverty, um, and therefore fewer and fewer people are doing it. They tend to migrate to the cities and all of this sort of thing, and um, a lot of the products are being farmed by fewer people, potentially on more marginal land. They're living a very precarious existence. But also we can potentially lose some of the things that we love. You know, we know that cocoa in particular is very much under threat in terms of there are, you know, the yields are coming down, the conditions are not so great for it. So it's quite far reaching in terms of a lot of these products are um, becoming more difficult to farm and that will have implications um, not just for the people who grow it. So why is it important that the food we buy um, say here in England or um, in other places why is it important that the food we buy is ethically certified? Well I, I believe that we need to hold the companies that that provide our food to account um, you know, independent certification is really, really important because I just think a lot of companies, you know, without feeling like their consumers are demanding it, they won't necessarily behave in the best possible way. And things like independent certification, such as the fair trademark, is a way of ensuring that they have to maintain certain practices and, you know, ensuring transparency. Um, and I, I think that just gives us so much more than them kind of saying, about their own product, yes, it's ethically sourced, you know, because those standards go across our system. So you know that that the product, no matter where you buy it, if it's got the fair trade mark on it, it's met the standards. So, you know, different coffees um, in different stores, but with fair trade mark have met very similar standards. Um, so I think it's really important way, um, we can't all research and dig into the supply chains of the products we enjoy ourselves um, that would be an impossible task but I think most of us would want to know that nobody's being exploited to get the products to us that we enjoy so having fair trade mark on a product shows that that supply chain has been looked at it has been audited and the practices that I think most of us would want to see in place have been upheld that the people who are at the start of that supply chain are getting a better deal um, from selling their product um, and that certain standards are being adhered to which I think most of us would probably want to see farmers not being pushed further into poverty to bring us the things that we enjoy.
Yeah, and that definitely makes sense from um from a consumer's perspective and from my personal perspective as somebody who cares about sort of the few choices that I'm making. So in recent years, I've definitely seen more um, ethical certifications on products in, say, Sainsbury's or Tesco or anywhere. You see a few stamps on them. What makes Fairtrade different from these other certifications? You're right. There are an awful lot of different ethical labels out there um, that, you know, some of them are focusing on slightly different things. Um, but the, what makes fair trade different is that the producers are absolutely at the heart of our system. And the producers have a really strong presence um, on our board of our, our international body. Um, they have a lot of say in how our system develops. Um, and also, because we have this fair trade premium, um, which is returned to them as an additional payment uh, over and above the price they receive, um, they decide what they do with that. That's all about community good. And, you know, the idea is that they are the people who know best what they need. So um, the farmers are organised into, um, if, if they're small farmers that have their own piece of land, they're organised into cooperatives, small producer organisations. In some products, they're also workers on big farms, that sort of thing. And they form committees, they decide what they need to do with that premium. And, and this is really one of the things that makes fair trade stand out. Um, they decide how they will use that. And, and there are some kind of common things around the world that many of the producers use that for. Um, so many of the producers use it for things like um, accessing uh, clean water, putting in you know, water pumps, that sort of thing. Um, they use it for things like education programs. Um, I visited some producer groups in Cote d'Ivoire in West Africa um, just over a year ago, um, and they were doing some things there where they had built like a, a school canteen and kitchen using the fair trade premium um, because hunger is a massive issue there, and a lot of the children would only get one meal a day. So they were able to use the premium to build a school kitchen and, and refectory and um, then they could feed the children once a day. Um, often it's things like um, health provision, maybe getting a, a visiting nurse or adding to vaccination programs, that sort of thing, health clinics. Um, but they really decide what they do with it. There isn't somebody in fair trade saying, let's give them XYZ. Um, and that's really one of the things that is so special about fair trade um, and also the emphasis on things that aren't just about the money but also about ensuring that producers have their voice heard um, that they are making the decisions that they are able to um, access training to become business people to negotiate with their buyers um, and to really be able to become a little bit more able to shape their futures so Fairtrade does a lot of great work beyond certifications. I know we focused a lot about the stamp that gets put on products here um, in the UK, but Fairtrade does a lot of great work beyond the certifications. Could you give our listeners a brief overview of some of the other great work that Fairtrade does? Yeah, um, of course. So 
so um, as previously discussed, I think a lot of the, the great stuff comes from the way that producers are able to make changes in their community. Um, in addition to that, um, across the fair trade system, there's uh, programmatic work and that takes part in all kinds of producer communities and some of it is funded by partners, some of it from, um, you know, like government development agencies, all sorts of things. Um, and some of those are really incredible. So I mentioned the Climate Academies previously, which is really investing in um, one of my favourites is um, Women's School of Leadership in West Africa, um, which has given women, groups of women, um, the opportunity to do some training to um, really learn about business and how to become leaders in their community in a place where that hasn't always been um, that available to them. And I met a couple of women who took part in that, and one of them we we featured in Fairtrade Fortnight last year, Edit, and she was an incredible force of nature. Um, so you know these programs really go uh, even further in in kind of addressing some of the challenges that that communities are um, faced with, producer communities are faced with, and of course what the Fairtrade Foundation does at this end in the UK is about raising awareness. So a fair trade system, you know, it's like a big set of, I don't know, chains, links. Um, mm -hmm. All the links are really important and it only works um, if all the links are in place. So you can have producers certified, but without demand for their product, they can't sell it on fair trade terms. And, and this is a situation that many producers are in so once they're certified they could sell every single bit of their cocoa or their coffee on fair trade terms but they only have buyer for a small proportion so some of them are selling maybe 10 percent on fair trade terms they still then have to sell the rest of it the way they ever did so they're only benefiting on a small proportion of it so the work we do here i think is is really important for demonstrating what fair trade does for driving up that demand, um, for showing people um, the things that we're really proud of in our system um, and giving them the access to those producers who can tell them firsthand the difference that it's making. Um, and these are really, really important parts of the work of the system as well. It's good to hear some of the stories and um, good to hear that you yourself have met some of the people that are involved in this great work yeah um, and uh, on our, our choose the world you want festival there's lots of opportunity in the the rest of fair trade fortnight to hear producers speaking live yeah i always find those videos really interesting so i'll take some of those out so finally what piece of advice would you give to students who want to make sure they're making ethical food choices i would say to students uh choose products with fair trade mark because then you know that the product um, that you're enjoying has been independently audited and certified. And you know that the producers who um, put the hard work in for that product are benefiting, not just um, in a monetary way from potentially the um, minimum price and the fair trade premium, which enables them to do project, projects in their community, um, but also from those other things that we talked about that fair trade does which is give them you know that 
greater stability, um, that additional knowledge and, you know, supports them to um, really develop their farming as businesses. I think it's really important to ask questions, to, to question the places where you buy your products from about um, their ethical credentials. And sometimes you don't always get great answers, but we, we have to hold companies to account. If they don't think anyone cares, then they'll do what they want to do. So um, ask your favorite coffee shop or ask your you know, little grocery store or whatever about the products that you want to buy, if they know, and that sort of thing. Um, but the great thing about the Fairtrade Mark is that, that it gives you that, that kind of way of knowing but obviously, there are many products out there that carry a fair trade mark, but it's mainly food and obviously gold, um, cotton, sports balls, flowers, but majority of food products. Um, and and this, so there are, are other things beyond that as well. And I, I think, you know, there's a certain set of skills about being a critical conscious consumer and asking questions about who made this, what were the costs, but, but it's really important to to have those with everything that you buy and have a think about um, where it came from and who made it. Great. And yeah, that's a really good way to end it. I think it ties into a lot of the themes that we've had on these podcasts is that um, educating yourself is one way, understanding um, who to trust in terms of companies and how they put across their message. Yeah. And it's just sort of... Um, yeah like you said the skill set of a conscious consumer which Absolutely. i really like and i'll be using that another time but um thanks again for joining us joe it's been a really good conversation and um i'm sure if the listener wants to sort of delve into more fair trade topics there's loads on the fair trade fortnight website and also university of greenwich is doing loads of cool stuff like a um recipe book around sort of fair trade recipes and ethical food choices so thank you for listening and if you'd like to find out more about um, sustainability at Greenwich please visit www.gre.ac.uk forward slash sustain and we're also always looking for new episode ideas so if you'd like to be involved in an episode or you've got an idea for an episode please get in touch thanks bye